0: Hi, and welcome to this new episode of Papa PhD. This week, I'm talking with Federica Bressan about her experience being a communicator and a podcaster as a researcher. You'll hear during the show that Federica has some strong opinions about this, and you'll see also that the conversation almost turned to a debate at a certain point. So, If you're interested in learning a little bit about how to become a podcaster as a researcher or if you're questioning yourself about how your research can reach a wider audience then stay with us and hear what Federica had to share based on her experience and on her reflection.
1: You have a time constraint as a scientist because science must come first. That's your job. You do this on the side Unless we agree that the whole scientific profession is changing, then it really includes the communication in the research so that the process of research is different, so that it doesn't look like one should do the full-time traditional scientist's job and then also communicate and then it's something on the side that it's an add-on. It doesn't pertain to what I'm paid for. And they keep telling me that I should and then it's good for me. Yeah, but I'm not paid to do that. (laughs) And I have enough on my plate already. So uh, that's why I'm critical of that. Unless we agree that the, the whole academia is changing and that the whole profession is changing so that society and science come closer together. And that's a very complex process, but it's not impossible. And in that case, then scientists should definitely also be required to be good communicators.
0: Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendes, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Welcome to this new episode of Papa PhD. This week, I have the the great pleasure of having with me Federica Bressan. Uh, Federica is a Marie Curie and Fulbright alumna, and uh, she is a science communicator and author based in in Italy. She holds two MDs, uh, MDs, uh, master's, master's degrees, right? She holds two master's degrees in music and musicology and a PhD in computer science. The vision underlying her work concerns the co-evolution of technology and society. She is the author of 40-plus peer-reviewed articles in the fields of engineering, chemistry, contemporary art, library science, and philology. She conducts video interviews on technology and society on uh, on her channel and podcast, Technoculture, and she writes opinion pieces on science and communication, as well as teaching podcasting for researchers. Welcome to Papa PhD, Federica.
1: So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh,
0: I'm, I'm super happy again to have you here. Um, I really love how what you do has so many intersections of different uh, academic domains. Uh, you have you know a lot of training, two master's degrees, plus then computer science. And this really shows in what you do in the people you interview and in the interests you have. But uh, before we go into um, into uh, technoculture and the conversations you have and the, the role of podcasting in your life as a researcher uh, in your domain, can you please just uh, share one or two more words uh, presenting? It's telling people, telling listeners and viewers who is Federica Bressan.
1: <laughs> that's a huge question who okay i'll tell you what i do <laughs> uh, i have been a researcher for over 10 years but i had a life before that um just mentioning because i think at some point it becomes relevant when we talk about intersecting things experiences what one does i was a journalist and a musician and performer before i started my phd so my mds were music because that's all I was interested in. And then I did a PhD in computer science and I have had a career in academia for over 10 years. Uh, Very rewarding, very successful considering the grants that I can, you know, uh, begin my resume with like Marie Curie and Fulbright that brought me abroad. So I've had many great experiences. And towards the end of that more or less decade, um, I was seduced by this invitation to researchers to start communicating their research to diverse audiences. Of course, you know, everybody is encouraged to do that today, but I liked it. And so I did it. It's not for everybody. And I actually think that not every researcher should feel pressured or forced to communicate outside of the lab or at all. Also because at some point when they teach you on how to do it, um, they tell you, well, it takes certain skills it's a job. There are professional communicators. So there is a sort of contradiction there. How mm-hmm. much to expect from uh, the poor researchers, even more young researchers who are just learning their job in science. And now they have to do this other thing on the side. And um, and it takes time away from their main duty. This is my duty now because slowly then I shifted towards doing com- doing communication. And then COVID also killed my last research grant. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of found myself doing this, which I absolutely love and adore. And then I started teaching it because, uh, as you said, I uh, lecture uh, mostly researchers or anyway, college students, um, conservatory of music, for example, on podcasting, multimedia communication and all of these things that can come in handy for them in many different domains, even if they mm-hmm. decide not to communicate their own science. So, yeah, this is who Federica Bersan is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's super, super interesting, and and uh, it, of course, it's interesting that you come from music. But I'm I'm really interested uh, on uh, on understanding, um, you know, you, you know, a master's in music, musicology, and then you go to computer science. Can you just? Tell that story of how that transpired, because it, you know, instinctively it's not it's not a kind of a, a journey that I or a path that I would uh, instinctively think that would be a, a mm-hmm. one to follow.
1: Well, there's a huge intersection a dash overlap between music and technology, so there is a whole area of research that's called sound and music computing. So it, it, it's a thing, and many people have an interest in both domains but when you were you know introducing me and using all those hyperboles and words you started making a list of domains that have been involved in my research and publications Um, and it, it's almost laughable it's like from philology to chemistry to library science to information engineering and you know I can't help it it's true and as you were saying those things I thought you know this is the world. The world is this. Then we chop it down in compartments and you do this and you do that. But I do all of these different things because I'm just interested in the real world and in real things. So uh, what I have done is preservation of sound recordings, mostly as a research topic. And and that's why you have library science, because it's an archive, information engineering because then you will have retrieval algorithms for all the digital data that you obtain from the digitization you know chemistry because the tapes degrade and you need to recuperate them so i did some research in the lab with chemists you see mm-hmm. how it's all one to me and it's not yeah. why do we do all these different things it's <laughs> it's one thing
0: i agree i agree that life is not unidimensional and uh, again it's it's really <laughs> a, a coincidence because I've, I've been having kind of conversation around this a few conversations in these last few weeks and again you bring this 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 point which is real which is uh life is complicated <laughs> it's like it's like a bowl of uh, of pasta right it's like a bowl of spaghetti it's not uh, <laughs> you need to you you not you need to but uh you can't expect uh, going through life and just having one skill or or, or doing one thing, because uh, problems get more and more complex, and uh, and things are not unidimensional, like you said. I, I find it really interesting, and of course now, I, yeah, yeah, I understand now the 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 connection with with computer science because of of uh, of what you just explained. So the, and it's true that a lot of music now actually is made through computers and and through <laughs> through different uh, like virtual machines and things and whatever even ai now that creates music and imitates composers etc cetera, etc cetera. so no no the the path is clear now
1: yeah i just want to stress that it's not that i'm against specialization uh, it's uh, it, it 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 was physiological as the knowledge of humankind became so vast that people started specializing. And then it's nice also to kind of surf on the s- surface and connect to different things. It's all a matter then of points of view. And it's interesting co- to collaborate with people with different points of view because you see the same subject from that different perspective. And it has happened to me because, you know, I didn't um, do a university program that was multidisciplinary. Like there are some today. I studied musicology, period. And then I did a PhD in computer science, period. They didn't forgive me for being a musicologist. I had to take the same, you know, exams than others. So calculus and programming and operating systems and all those fundamentals, um subjects that I had to integrate if I wanted to catch up with the computer scientists that had already studied that before and so I integrated that plus other knowledge to be able to deserve to earn a PhD in computer science and that was interesting because I fully immersed myself in one mindset here and then I had to forget I was a musicologist and you know reinvent myself my thinking because there is a, a way of thinking when you do for example you know engineering and that was new to me I thought I knew how to study I knew how to know things, but then different domain, different approach. And it was a new school for my brain to think differently instead of, I wasn't born multidisciplinary. I have also had that experience of switching. And so I strongly believe, not everybody should be multidisciplinary. Sometimes multidisciplinary people have a hard time finding jobs because you can be this and that and the other thing. But when people want to hire someone, they need that, you know, the good engineer. Or the philologist, they don't care if you're a digital or you have a passion for, you know, veterinarian science. And therefore, uh, you need everybody's contribution. So I'm not against specialization, but I do like to uh, look around myself 360 degrees and, and, you know, I'm just interested in 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 this, which connects to science communication. Maybe I'll have a chance to say it later. Oh
0: yeah, and, and I was going there actually. But what what you're telling, uh, what you're saying, actually makes sense to me. Which is, you don't need to be a, a polymath like you're saying. But I think today, because of the problems that need to be dealt with, interdisciplinary work, I think is is going to be even uh, you know more and more important. And in which you can be specialized in one thing, but it's going to be important to have a community and to have a research group that has people coming from social sciences and coming from hard sciences natural sciences and ta- to tackle ideas that are also multifactorial and uh, so i i i, can, I agree i, I agree with what, with what you're saying and and the, the way to approach it can be can be different for each person but talking about this aspect of of communication cuz it's it seems clear to me that especially tell you know you're telling me that you were a journalist before You've always had this penchant for communication from maybe way before that we, we didn't talk about, you know, who was, <laughs> was Federica Bressan before, before the the first Masters uh, and, and when you were a journalist. Can you talk a little bit about how maybe the skills that you learned in journalism were useful to you, uh, projecting yourself into becoming a, a researcher, but also then... Um, uh, presenting yourself uh, as a candidate, you know, like because I imagine there were que- there were questions. How do you come from a musicology background and now you want to do a computer science, um, a computer science PhD? There, there must have been interesting and tense conversations that you've had to navigate. No?
1: Oh, very difficult questions. I felt almost as intended as to mm, block me in that path. Um, at least. In Italy, it's not commonly done that you switch domain between the master's and the PhD. And so some people at the computer science department there were challenging my, uh, the, le, the legitimacy of me wanting to study that. So I have received lots of difficult questions. And uh, but I don't know what I can tell you about that. Uh, I don't well, know uh, what,
0: interesting what, I, what I wanted to, but what I wanted to- it's not into maybe not that scene like that, but mm. because clearly you're a communicator, and that and that's and I think uh, people who want to become researchers or who want to change careers, you change domains, but you want you can want to change careers. And one of the things that I've that I've really been thinking and reflecting about a lot is how important being able to communicate why you're you know why you should be in this p- space where people don't really recognize you takes skills of communication. And I was just wondering whether you had some reflection of your past in communication. Did it have an effect on how you presented yourself? Were there skills that you brought from before that helped you navigate those those like narrow streets?
1: <laughs> My answer to that is actually that although by doing something, you perfect certain um, activities, uh, you are whatever you are before you start doing that thing so it's not that you know when i started being a journalist and i was relatively young like 22 and for the print media so i wasn't speaking on air although i had done a little bit of radio and then i have done a an internship on a tv broadcasting station. So obviously I was fascinated by some of that. Um, So I cannot tell you that I have learned much about presenting myself or these kinds of things. The main thing that I have learned is how that world works and how to write the type of article that they wanted from me for, for the daily newspaper. And interestingly enough, I thought I could write an article, but when I had to write my first scientific article, I realized that I just had to forget everything because there are rules, of course. It's a different literary form, the scientific paper. And so I had to absolutely abandon all of that and learn how to write the scientific article. Uh, So what has it given me? Well, no, I it's ugly to say nothing but every you always grow but I cannot say that there's something specific that came from the journalistic experience except maybe what I had before all of this started because I did a presentation one at at university and um long story short someone found out that I had been a journalist before and they complimented me after the presentation saying oh that's why you speak so well like no, actually, even they hired me at the newspaper because I was writing well before they got me. You see, it's something that in you, uh, that's why people should follow their intuitions and passions and what catches their attention. And then by doing that thing in the real world, you suck at first and then you get good. And maybe if it's really your thing, you get really, really good at it. So, uh, what is that thing for me? that I might have been there from before and that I apply in journalism and I applied in science as just being curious. Curious and not afraid to ask questions. I love asking questions. I do interviews today for, for a living. Isn't that there great? As a journalist, I had uh, you know the, the pass to go to that person and just ask them, what is this? What is that? And why did you do that? And I, I, just, I loved it. And what does a scientist do? like mm-hmm. what does this data mean should we check again why is that it's just you know the squirrel mm. cage That's
0: i i can totally everything. i can totally identify with you but you you kind of just gave me what i was looking for because yes writing didn't bring you so much but the process of getting to the writing which was going to people asking questions finding where's the story that i think that totally translates to what to what you do today uh, although it's not, you know, it's not what was published, and and you ended up just writing an article. So it, it's super, super interesting. But now let's let's get to today. So today, you uh, you have uh, this podcast, Technoculture. Actually, I'm going to do something here for the people on YouTube and to share your your uh, your contacts and your websites. But um, so we've we've said all of this. You got into this new domain. You found your your place. You know, studying. Uh, something related to music, but in the the computing science domain. But you also have this other side of starting conversations and broadcasting conversations with people in in different domains about this intersection of technology and culture. And, you know, you said it before, researchers have very limited time. Uh, So if you're doing this i imagine that it brings you that it brings you something can you talk a, a little bit about as a as a researcher what the, what the this time this investment that you put into creating content into having and i've seen your website you have different projects that, that you know different ways that you are bringing content what does it bring you as as a as a scientific uh, as a researcher and and just as a a curious person who who wants to to move on and, and to uh, expand your career and your and your areas of interest
1: I'm sorry, I looked away, but I was pulling up uh, a slide for myself just so that I'm sure I don't forget anything that I show my students
0: mm-hmm. when I
1: tell them in fact, uh, you want to start a podcast well, you know cool it's a great idea, but uh, besides the caveats the time it takes and all of that, there are good reasons for you to want to do it uh, because it takes time. Um, but there is much feedback that can come back to your research and to you as a person. For example, networking, networking, my network has exploded <laughs> since I have had the podcast, especially of course if the podcast has an overlap with your own research. Now, nobody does a podcast to communicate their research. I've never seen that really. It's about your research or something close to that. If a researcher has a podcast, then his or her network will boom. And, uh, this is interesting because if you, uh, first of all, it's, it's just amazing because you can call the number one person in this field, that field, that field, and say, Hey, I have a podcast, which sounded a bit more new five years ago. You know, now almost everyone has a podcast, but it's a great way to break the ice. And to talk to someone, I have have a podcast, would you like to be on it, this and this reason, et cetera. And there is a professionality even in doing those invitations, et cetera. But if you do it well, your network can really expand a lot. And if you also cultivate the relationships with these people, then you stay in touch, you treat them well, they liked being on your show, they learned that you exist, etc. You may involve them in future projects or them, you, and collaborations or publications. You know, so it has been awesome for me. Um, You learn about other people's work. So you learn in science, you advance your scientific knowledge uh, in your field if that's what you do or neighboring fields if this is the types of guests you have and then you do develop and refine your communication skills speaking and listening which come in handy for conference presentations for example how many times you have been asked to speak 8 10 minutes 10 minutes and people my experience including myself a little bit the first times, but then I learned, although podcasting has really refined my sense of time, I exactly know how much time three minutes is, etc. But at conferences, people were asked to present, say, five minutes and they show up with 18 slides or so. They just keep talking on and on. And so this will also help you be a better communicator in science, not just at the interface between academia and the general public. And then you develop and exercise your critical thinking. Of course, you're the interviewer. You should prepare for the interview, even if it's not an interview-based podcast. In fact, you create the product, and it has to make sense, and it has to give a message. So it has to be intelligent. Um, So um, you want to ask smart questions that people understand, so you also understand better where your research and your knowledge is with respect to how much the general public knows and learns, you really become a better and better and better communicator, but very much a better scientist as you do this. Um, often, uh, in, often the case with the. Uh, researcher podcaster is that it's an individual production so they don't really have a team nor they have a budget so i discourage them from looking at successful podcasts out there even in science because those are professional productions with a person behind every step of the production flow
0: teams and budgets etc yeah
1: (laughs) exactly and uh, you have a time constraint as a scientist because science must come first that's your job you do this on the side although since i have appeared on public record before criticizing this pressure on researchers to communicate, I would like to take this opportunity to clarify that unless we agree that the whole scientific profession is changing, um, then it really includes the communication in the research so that the process of research is different, so that it doesn't look like one should do the full-time traditional scientist's job. And then also... Communicate and do, then it's something on the side that it's an add on. It doesn't pertain to what I'm paid for. And they keep telling me that I should, and then it's good for me. Yeah, but I'm not paid to do that. (laughs) And I have enough on my plate already. So uh, that's why I'm critical of that. Unless we agree that the the whole academia is changing and that the whole profession is changing so that society and science come closer together and that's a very complex process but it's not impossible and in that case then scientists should definitely also be required to be good communicators
0: mhm it's it's i've had i've been in the middle of this uh, this conversation and for some scientists who really have no um attraction for for anything else than doing it it's very difficult and it they feel pressured so they feel um uh, yeah especially well, yeah, they feel pre- they feel squeezed to do something that first they 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 may not have or they don't have any uh, tools or any or or, the, or any um, how can i say uh, pe- yeah punch penchant for and but now in the grants whenever you know there, there's always now parts in the grants where it's it's asked uh, uh, knowledge transferred but so i've i've been in conversations with people quite angry or frustrated at being asked these things and um anyway as as a, en passant i just took took part and, and co-launched a, a a media agency for researchers uh, because of that kind of gap uh, that exists between what's offered because there's some tools that are offered right at university for researchers in terms of of, uh, of having maybe like some uh, I would say press releases, things like that. but a researcher wants to make a video wants to make a motion design uh, a motion design uh, animation about the results of their research that's off the scope of what's offered and and so I think, I think it, it's cool when people like you have that passion and and, and are ready to, you know, put, put energy into that. But I think it's unfair to require it from, from everyone. Uh, and anyway, uh, it's and an interesting for? and difficult conv- conversation. By the way,
1: what for? Because uh, I know we shouldn't make this whole hour about being <laughs> critical of this. But there is so much to say. Like, what for? What for, mm. like the for example, the European Commission or the big funders of science wouldn't put in place such a huge machine in investments and a call for communication just because it's very nice that the public the general public knows what's going on in science. who cares right? Maybe sometimes the general public. It's tired at the end of the day. They have jobs. They don't care about your research. So it seems it sounds so virtuous that we should do it for society to bring society closer to science. But why? Science is our job and we are trained to do it and it's highly specialized. Some people don't have the tools to understand what we do, and you say that's why we explain it to them. Yeah, but okay, the important thing is that we do it. And they just just don't know. And most of the times I've heard this in the early years, who knows if it's because they were still naive in how they called us to action, but they said that part of the duty of communicating was not just explaining what we do, so bring in the knowledge, uh, but convince the laymen that the taxpayer's money is well invested. Oh boy, do I hate that argument. They say, listen, I apply for grants already because science as a whole is project-based. There's not a yearly funding for most of scientific uh, entities or people. And and therefore, I apply for a project or grant, whether it's a big project or an individual grant like I got. You evaluate it, then give me the green light and give me the money. You decided that my science was good enough. You go and tell the taxpayers that you spent your money well on me. Why should I go do that? And then if I'm a public servant which a scientist is, if it works for a university or so, uh, he or she, then why don't school teachers go in their afternoons after school in the streets, trying to convince people that the public school is good? Why researchers? I mean, there's something I haven't completely figured out there, but uh, why now? Why now? I
0: see. Well, I see your point. Well, I think now one of the reasons uh, that I can see is how mu- how much easier or how much it seems easier for content to be brought straight to the, the end user today, be it to Instagram to now YouTube like we are, et cetera, et cetera. So you know, it feels like well, it's so easy to do it. Why why not have that? There's there's a question of technology there, I think. Then I, I Oh, because I agree we can. Some, then
1: well, the be- reason would be we do it because we can, because no, now we they, have
0: the that, well where I was going is they thought about it because we can. I, I, I and I'm. But I, again, I think – I understand which, where you're coming from, and it's an interesting discussion. But there's – imagine, you know, imagine you're working on um, a more uh, um, uh, social sciences uh, project. Uh, I don't know, uh, um, gender equality in uh, – or, or, or agricultural technologies for dry countries, and you have a great – you know, you have great research that can affect people. Or do you need participants for for your study. I think it's important that the, the communication the, the, that pe- because people who are not scientists won't read a, a journal article. They'll they'll just they'll start you know because it again you said it before. You had to learn this whole style of writing, which did not fit with, with what you did before in in journalism. So I, I think not all research subjects are easily amenable to uh to be translated into uh into you know into nice and and and, and very very useful pieces of content uh, or video audio podcasts whatever but some of them are i think there's a there's a there's a question of politic uh will behind there I know that that the funding of science is is like you said you never know tomorrow, <laughs> and uh, and it's by project. And then you you may have this great project for five years, and then you you go for the next one, and and you don't get it. I understand the, the frustration there, and and it does feel to me like there needs to be something coming from above. It's more more political will to to say okay, we're going to ask them to do these things, but we're going to give them the tools and the money to do them well or to hire someone to do it. I I do think for me, how I see it and, and tell me what you think. Of course you're, you're my guest. I feel like I am maybe a bit overstepping here, but I want everyone to, you know, I want everyone on the street to be able if they're curious, even if they come from less um, affluent strata of society where there's less access to information, but if, if they want to know why do I take paracetamol and what does it does to me that they, have a, a nice and, a, and an easy way of understanding it and it's not through reading the the prescribing information because it's written in that same language that we've talked about a similar similar type of language so i understand your point and i understand as with all the difficulties in funding and with etc etc cetera, et cetera, that scientifics are. i understand your frustration but for me i kind of have this dream of a world where anyone can can easily have access to know things that that are, are important for them, even if they, at you know, at the time they don't know it or they went, like you said, Oh, are they, do they want to know this? Well, maybe they don't want to know, but maybe their kid wants to know. And, oh, uh,
1: yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, uh, it's, absolutely absolutely it's kind of it's, a, a, it's
0: funny we got into kind of a debate here now
1: <laughs> um well it would be boring otherwise but i think that we agree way more than uh, than we realize right now yeah absolutely uh, uh yeah thank you actually for saying what you just said because i didn't mean to imply that we should not talk to the general public by the way documentaries have been around forever so it's not even that this started now and true true i mean you know that's why sharks Dinosaurs, the DNA are big in communication, or the solar system, the stars, uh, the Big Bang, because mm-hmm. it's cool, because it's easy. I actually believe that every single tiny piece of scientific research can be communicated and in an interesting way. I mean, it, it is interesting. I just believe that some are just much easier to do, like dinosaurs and sharks, yeah,
0: or or social science, you know, projects that, that are really focused on people, on communities. uh, Yeah, I mean, when
1: you hear marine biology, everybody's like, dolphins, you know. this Actually, it goes like that. Um, Now, COVID has been really special, and I also thought about it because lots of science communication happened, and Mm -hmm. I have done some of it, and I realized that uh, everybody talked about science communication, and they should have talked about science science communication in a time of crisis, because when you're a kid wants to go to some theme park to learn about dinosaurs, that's leisure, a very good type of leisure, like edutainment, but it's leisure. If there is an ongoing pandemic and suddenly you watch a documentary on how viruses work, wow, you know, you have a stake in that. So you need to understand, you need to learn. And that's why it was a disaster. And many scientists were criticized because communication was not consistent. It was almost like the news what the scientists were saying then—it wasn't, you know—and
0: oh, yeah, there was a shift. There was a big shift on the importance of that specific domain of virology, of of vaccine technology, of. Like now, people heard about DNA, RNA. Like these the, the things came to the forefront, and it it really changed the game uh, in in that domain at least. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree.
1: As for what you mentioned before, it's kind of a dream of mine. Actually, I even wrote, uh, uh, you know, not uh, it's not sci-fi because it's specific about my research domain. Actually, you know, sometimes you want to have a vision for the future. So in in sound preservation and library science, I wrote this vision this in the form of a novel, like a narrative, like you constantly spend your time trying to convince your peers that your research is good and what you do, you know, should be adopted or should happen, you know. And so instead of spending my time convincing them of doing that, I wrote this from the perspective of when this has happened and describing what world would it be if these things were in place or we had done things like this. And now, damn it, I didn't want to lose my train of thought with this, uh, to communicate, to learn. No, you were saying, you were saying about how interesting would it be if people could know why they take paracetamol, for example, like when you have a question, you want an answer. And if it has to do with science, who do you want to ask if not a scientist now? That was, uh, there's an overlap with that narrative I wrote because it was about archiving and so retrieving information and about a, you know, currently non-existing super intelligent agent that speaks to you as a human does. You don't have to type or use keyword. It really interacts with you, human, human, like we are, and you can ask them questions. And that is actually like a fetish of mine, like to know things when you want to know them and i am frustrated with google which we say oh my god you know we had at uh, the reach of hand so much information which is true in a way it is absolutely true but how many times you ask something google and the responses are slightly off what you're asking not your case or maybe you were asking this and it's so frustrating and uh, i have asked google sometimes stuff that i have not found online at all maybe because it was a question uh like you said like How, why do I take paracetamol? How does this exactly work? Like, because this interests me, not, you know, read about paracetamol, you know, how about that? I asked this specific question. I'm a human and I want to have knowledge and I asked you that question. So I'm very frustrated with Google. I believe that we should have in the future something that comes closer to what you described and whether we get there. I don't know, by having people that work in an office and you walk up to the window and ask them, like there was this funny show that was if Google wasn't a man, you know, (laughs) that you walked up to Google to ask him questions. It's super funny because of the questions that people ask, but also the responses. You know, it shows you, I'm sorry, but how stupid it is as opposed to the intelligence that humans have. So whether we get there by using people and how, I don't know. Or by developing systems or uh, knowledge bases, collections of content that is so well curated that it permits you to find truly the answers that you want. Yeah, if that begins here with communicating science a little bit like this, I'm all for it.
0: It, it might happen in the future. But what I see now is uh, one place pe- people can turn to uh, or people who some people who are doing this already quite well are scientific journalists and scientific communicators in different ways and and uh but there's no like you say there's no entity there's no yeah <laughs> there's no like bot that you can ask and that will answer you as a human would instead of just dumping a bunch of information on you and and you have to kind of sift through and etc cetera, etc cetera. but um I think it's important for you to voice that that frustration, and although you do so much in terms of communicating, right? But that frustration of yeah, I'm not really being paid for it. It's just my passion, and I really believe in it. And I think a lot of people end up doing that. But I, I, I also a dream of mine would be that well, if you do that, you'd have a remuneration for it, right? You, it would be you'd be actually paid for it, it, it you know it, it would be part of your job description and not an add-on that you're asked to do by the way to help uh, the public uh understand how money is well spent in science it,
1: it just takes too much time by the way if you want to do it well and what does well mean even having a podcast it's just it's too much time i believe and if you limit yourself uh to having a twitter account and then actually maybe tweeting Like, you know, uh, this weekend I will be at this or that conference, or I have published, my paper has been accepted. I'm happy to share that. Like, is that science communication or it's personal branding? Personal branding, which is really good too. But what is science communication then? It's a different thing. So even being on social media and posting a picture of yourself in the lab, it's not science communication.
0: No, it, it, it's and besides communication, for some people, is a full time job, you know, and and because like like you said, producing something of high quality, especially if, if you go into video, etc., etc., it it takes so much time,
1: you and, know. Uh,
0: yeah, well, and and again, I'm doing this on the side because I don't, as of yet, I have I've, I'm looking, I'm trying to get sponsorship for for Papa PhD. I have I'm having conversations. If you have everyone, anyone watching and listening, cross your fingers for me. But uh, I'm doing this on the side too.
1: Like, let my bank details run on the screen. Like, like my my Twitter account before. Just put my bank details uh, there, yeah, and, yeah, like and like yours a- too,
0: and yours too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Like the Patreon or whatever, yeah, just send us some <laughs> some cash. But um, look, uh, uh, I, I, it's it's a very important question. Uh, again, that that question is the one that led me and my my two other colleagues to launch to launch the the, the PH design agency because we we saw that there was this gap, and uh, so you know there there will be people like like us who will try to get into the into the space and and do this job, but then there's gonna be people like you who have this gift and this passion and who will do it do it themselves. But I think eventually th- there needs to be something coming from a from above, you know, political will and money no. and and resources. I thought you
1: turned very religious there for a moment.
0: <laughs> from <You> above,
1: <laughs> we need help from above. We, uh, you know, God, ha- God for science. <laughs> no, you. Uh, you know who is above and um, we are talking about researchers doing uh, communication even my perspective is different i'm still an individual doing a certain type of communication etc i guess that where we should be looking at is the communication office or service of the institutions like universities for example maybe a department level or the whole thing you know because they are a team and. You know why that makes so much sense? Because the burden is not just dumped on the researchers. And because as a coordinated team, they know what the vision and the strategy for the institution is. So the communication actually has a sense of direction. It's not just, let's make a video on kittens, you know, and why when they age, their hair doesn't turn white, you know, you know, Uh, so they have a vision. And they can uh, structure a communication plan. Isn't it true that right now every researcher is pressured and they are trying to do something, but it's uncoordinated, actually? And yeah, you, you mentioned earlier some universities start to provide some technical equipment, maybe, or some guidance for researchers who want to do it. But I think that the main actor in this field now in science science that wants to communicate should be the offices and the services of the institutions because they have direction and because they can support and coordinate the individuals.
0: I, I agree. The thing, the thing that I've, because I've had conversations with people in these offices and it is, there's so much research happening that we need to choose. We need to choose the thing that will make the news, that will... And... So what, what about the other ones that are not chosen? They also need to have a way to talk about their research. Oh,
1: yeah. And there, uh, when I said vision, direction, strategy, of course, I didn't even think to mention that. But now that you said that, it's not all virtuous. When a researcher communicates, it's normally passion-driven because this is just how we researchers are. We are so passionate about what we do. We just like what we do. So we would never have a secret goal, right? But these (laughs) offices need to do the good of the universities. They need to increase the numbers, attract the attention. And so once I interviewed a scientist, because I had read an article about him on LinkedIn, by the way, that uh, the title was catchy, but the information was very clear. And I read all through it, contacted him, and I ended up interviewing him. And by interviewing him, I realized that what was in the headline of the article was just a minor and also dubious part of his research, but it looked catchy. so good in the headline. And I thought, this is not how you do it. I mean, science is sexy enough. Why do they have to go and look for what is really sensational? And and I thought, okay, so that is a case of an office that is dealing with communication, but that does it in that mindset, that strategy of the clickbait and of the headlines. What makes the news? You know, you make the news in science. I'm not talking now Ukraine and stuff that should have priority and one thing is bigger than another. But in science, especially if you work in science, uh, everything is interesting. Come on. Come on. And if you're not good enough, you know, I I wrote on my website because it's something that came to my mind really by doing these stories in journalism, I thought uh, good stories make journalists, not vice versa. I don't make a story good. Like the story is good and it gives me the material to shine. So the stories are good in science to begin with. It's true. Actually, some universities have these services that I don't know how far it moves from what we have been talking about, science communication, because they would uh, monitor the production of the people in that group or department or the whole university and almost try to they have to crack their heads over how to squeeze a social media post out of that one paper so that you 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 squeeze everything you can out of every single item that is produced every single piece of news every study as as you should i think that that can be done very virtuously um Within and without science, you know, you could also imagine that for internal communication in, within an institute, like scientists work work like that so much because they have to. So, what about communicating with your peers, like you do at conferences? Or, so there, yeah,
0: or, or different stakeholders and 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 people who give funds, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's a lot, lot of lots of layers to that cake of <laughs> of communicating offices research
1: can be in they they are they represent the institution. So they have uh, may have a relationship with the local press or the national press because they have different channels for communicating. It's not that Federica Bressan can write to Wired or the Washington Post, but maybe a university has a person there that constantly communicates. And so maybe one day I have an interesting study, I go to the office and I end up having an article on that outlet. Uh, so I believe that, yeah, this is how it should be. Be done. It it would be efficient, and and just better for everyone. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, so these these are big things that that we're talking about, and we're getting to the end of the interview, and and it's been a super interesting one, and uh, uh and it's been interesting to kind of discuss ideas, uh like and kind of openly. I really appreciated that. But like to kind of to finish thinking, given that things are not like like that that you're kind of dreaming right now, they're not like that. So, so, so for people, and you give this training, right? But for people who are listening, they're in their lab. They have this will, let's say, to start a podcast. What in, in what would be like in three minutes? Uh, the 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 kind of blueprint to just get started with their project, and then put put in the, put the the right bricks on that that small wall to start building something that's going to be lasting. That's going to be of quality.
1: I'm currently teaching a course in this and I can tell you that actually uh, there is some, you find other stuff online, of course, but with my experience and the stuff that I found online, there is almost something very schematic that you should prepare and have these ideas clear before you launch your podcast. But then there are also like two full pages of questions that you should ask yourself and Things that you should decide before you start. Now you can start without asking, without answering all of these but they are all relevant and you will find out down the road if you don't know now so in three minutes I cannot tell you all you need to know to start but I can tell you that if you want to start you definitely should you you can do it with very little equipment so don't stress about that now I never plugged myself like this but of course like I teach these things, so if you're interesting like reach out but one thing that I would say that's most important is um As a researcher especially, do not be obsessed with now making an impact and having millions of followers. If you do it, just do it because it will be good for you, and that's good enough to begin with, and then just put it out there and you will see what it does for you because you will start talking about it with your friends, in conversations, it will come up. So it will do good for you, and so just go and do it. Whatever else comes is just free fun. Uh, but one thing that, um, it seems important to mention is that one, when one begins a podcast, they never think of when to end a podcast. You know, they just start, but they don't know how it will go. It's ongoing forever. No, it can begin and end. So you can, first of all, begin and not care, but you can also decide to publish five episodes. So you have a plan. I want to do this small scale project. If you, pick the right hosting platform, et cetera. You can live online for free forever. And so you can publish these and then forget about it. You're done with the podcast. And then maybe just squeeze everything you can out of those episodes with telling everyone that you did it for the next two years, if you know what I'm talking about. So when you start, um, think sharp and focused. Ask yourself, how would I do it? Like, how would I like to do it so that it's fun for me? And read, but don't buy too much into all the how to do a How would you do it? And then think small. Maybe plan three episodes. Plan five and go for that so that it's not um, um, an ambitious project and a failure. Plan small and do that because it can begin and end. And it's complete and it's nice and we will all listen to it because... Papa PhD will tell us about it in the next episodes, (laughs) you know. And then you learn from that, and you can keep going. I not only have my Technoculture podcast, but I've had it for solid two years before I started other projects and my YouTube channel. And this is maybe what will happen to you too. And you cannot be good when you start. You have to try to be as good as you can, but you will learn as you go. In everybody's channel that i have seen if they're honest they know that their first videos or episodes if it's just an audio podcast are worse but which is nicer to say that the last ones are better than the first ones it's just how it is so just just do it have fun have fun for god's sake have fun
0: great that's great those are great points and uh, so if people want to actually reach out to you to learn more What's the best way to reach you to ask you questions? Maybe to to talk about the training the training that you give. Where where do people reach you?
1: Well, you know, um, I just say Google Google me uh, because my name is not so just easy to to spell to pronounce. It's still an Italian name F E D E. Everybody calls me Frederica, so I cannot tell you. Look for me here or there. If you Google me, I have quite an online presence. And so you will find my website, you will find my channel if you just spell my name or throw in the keyword technoculture. So and it doesn't sound very sexy. People say, go to my website, go to, just Google my name and you will find my YouTube channel. I don't use Instagram very much at all. Um, I never knew how to maximize that in communication terms, um, but I have an account there. Uh, I use Facebook quite a bit. And um, of course, I mean, LinkedIn. I do have the website, Federica com, the website of the podcast, technoculture podcast.com. But if you, uh, and the um, YouTube channel, um, it's with the acronym of what you feel is what you get. You know, the editors, YZVIG, this is with an F in between. It's just impossible to remember and to spell. <laughs> so just go on YouTube and look for my name, and I will come up. So that's the best way.
0: Excellent. Federica, this has been a great pleasure uh, and I really like what you're doing in terms of of, uh, of your YouTube channel, in terms of your podcasting. I really like that you're teaching researcher to, researchers to do it. I think it's important. I think there's a lot of training offered everywhere that uh, I've heard that some of it is kind of trying just to squeeze money out of people so knowing that someone that someone you know who's trustworthy who has done it who comes from the background is teaching researchers to do it is really a pleasure and um and uh, I I'm, I really want to thank you for the time you have uh, you have given to be uh, on Papa PhD today
1: well, I want to be squeezed some money too. But I know what you're saying. We never never brought this up that it is also getting a business. Indeed, indeed. It's also getting a business uh, with training courses, um, programs, summer schools. It's also a thing. And for the love of science, let alone that they rip you off, never mind that. I mean, uh, it's for the love of the science that this is somehow stay. I know, I know, I'm cheesy, but it should stay pure. It should stay pure for the love of the science or the love of the people and society that have a right to know because they may be curious, and that's a beautiful thing. You know, it should be done well, and not it's all strategy, marketing, achieving numbers, statistics, measure your audience. Oh, sure, but have fun doing it. Not because it's a light game. You know what I'm saying. I know you know what I'm saying. Have fun doing it because if you're not passionate about it, especially you can do your science in a bored way and you will most likely not be an innovator in that field. You can Mm -hmm. just accomplish the lab tasks. But in communication, if you couldn't care less about what you're talking about, you will not you know, grab the people on the other side of the screen. Mm.
0: <laughs> That's true. That's true, Federica. Well, again, uh, thank you for that. I think it's, it's, uh, it's true. Passion is important. And, uh, and, uh, I think, uh, if you, st- because it can become a business like you were saying, but if you start right away, putting your, putting so many like benchmarks to hit, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot because it's, it starts slow and it's a, it's something that kind of, like you said, you may not suck at at the beginning, but not be that good. Give yourself the time, you know, do one episode, two episodes, a series of five, like you said, and then maybe another series. And with time, you'll get better. And then eventually you can you can maybe start thinking of statistics, et cetera, when, once it's reached something. But... But again, I agree with you that it shouldn't be your first motivation. Like, oh, I'll get rich starting a podcast. Mm, I don't think so.
1: (laughs) You and I know it's not like that. And I would also just like to remind people that when we think of science communication, uh, we think of something still serious that should be funny and engaging, but it's serious. You can also actually do very funny videos that are critical of something or make fun of something like stand-up comedy on a scientific theme. That's great. So if you're frustrated with academia or your work, and you can have a funny take on that, you can make a video about that, about the the all that can go wrong in your lab, you know. So be creative in every way. You can have just a podcast with young scientists, and in each episode, tell you about something catastrophical that happened in in their PhD or career, and you will have a collection of adorable stories that we don't get. So it's not all. Serious, think about that.
0: That's true, Federica. Uh, so, thank you. It's been really great, and I think we we might continue this conversation uh, off the mic and maybe in other occasions. Um, and uh, I really, I really enjoy your your energy. And again, uh, congratulations for your projects and uh, and for trying to give back also to the community and to and to share what you've learned in these years. I think it's commendable, and. Um, and yeah, well, thank long, you, thank long you. Long life to, uh, to technoculture.
1: Oh yes, and and thank you for having me on your podcast. You have great guests and I like the type of communication you, you do yourself with your post and how you present the content. So I'm very glad and proud to have been part of this.
0: Well, It's my pleasure. I try, I try. It's my pleasure. <laughs> so to everyone who's on YouTube or LinkedIn, thank you. Uh, thank you for watching if you're watching live or later. Thanks for having stayed until the end. Uh, if you have this, this kind of little desire of, of starting, be it a blog, be it a, like you said, a Twitter account or a funny like TikTok account, go for it, try it, try Try one week, try one month. You'll see. And eventually it'll be, it'll become part of your routine and And then, if once the motor is started, and if you if you've done a, i don't know they say fifty percent of podcasts don't go to episode seven, but once you cross that episode seven, you can feel like okay, there's something here, and then just just go on and give yourself the time to to learn and to grow and to get better. Federica last word
1: last word, thank you so much for having me on. This was so much fun, and clearly we have so much to say about these things, things that I don't often hear because there is a rhetoric about all of these things right how it's good and we should do it and why and i like to to kind of question ask some hard questions but not just to be absolutely sort of negative because there is it's interesting
0: it is and that's when that's when we get to interesting answers when you when we when we dig a little bit deeper thanks for listening to another episode of the papa phd podcast Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.